Would you open your Bible this morning to the book of Acts chapter 27 and then Romans chapter 10. Acts 27 and verse 25. I love this verse because this verse is in the midst of a real difficult time. A ship is breaking up. All the cargo at great loss is going to be lost in the sea. Every man on this boat is in peril of his life. May not be any hope for survival. This might be the big one. And Paul had a visitation. And the Lord said, nobody on this boat is going to die. It doesn't mean you won't be hurt swimming towards those rocks in a raging sea or you might not bump your head, but you will not die. You will survive. You'll lose your cargo, but you will live. I can only imagine putting myself in that situation and all the fear. Here's Paul who gives a revelation from God to unsaved people. Verse 25, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. Well, I believe God. Now, today he would probably be laughed at or mocked at. Well, we all believe God, they'd probably say. But Paul said, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Take heart. Take courage. I believe God. What does he believe? I believe that it shall be even as it was told me. Let me tell you all something this morning. For everybody in here, whatever you're going through, however you've been through it, whatever you're facing, whatever, God has a word for you. It's a word of encouragement. God's intention was never to leave us in despair, even though there are heaviness through many kinds of trials that confront us. Even though some of these trials are difficult, they don't have to be physical trials. They can be mental trials. They can be family trials, kid trials, marriage trials. There'll be lots of different kinds of circumstances and skirmishes that you're in. The Bible said we'll be in all of that. There will be heaviness. Think it not strange concerning fiery trials. You live right, you're going to suffer for. I mean, all of that's in the Bible that you've got to deal with. But wherever you find those solemn statements, there's also a word of encouragement from God that in the midst of it, you can still overcome. You can still win. I don't care how the battle's raging. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Come on, everybody. Lighten up. And here we are floating and headed towards a rocky shore. Be of good cheer. He said, I believe God. I believe that it will be even as he told me. If he hadn't have told me something, I'd be in despair. If I didn't have a word from God to guide me or to lean on or to count on or to hold to, I would fall apart. What could I count on if God hadn't spoken? If I have no word from God, what can I appeal to him for? I, I don't have anything. I'm left to myself. I'm left to hope. Maybe it'll work. I don't know. But when you've got a word, when you've got something clear from God, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. I believe, God, that it shall be, even as he told me. So we can joyfully approach the shore. Yeah, it doesn't sound right. Well, it never does really sound right, except to those who believe. Now, in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 6, 
These are good old gospel evangelical passages here. He said, the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in your heart who shall ascend unto heaven, that is, to bring Christ down. We need him. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? Now, here's that word we're talking about. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith, which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes and unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But I want to single out the words, the word is near thee, the word is nigh thee. Is it not true that God wants his word to be connected to you in a near and close way so that it becomes what you turn to, that the word becomes the solution, that the word that God has spoken becomes the basis for your confidence in what he's going to do for you? It's called the word of faith. The word is near you. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That's what he said. I believe God, it shall be, even as it was told me. What was told me was what God said. Folks, everybody in this room occasionally needs some help. There's not a one of us in here that hasn't had one of those gloomy days. And gloomy days never stop knocking on your door. Gloomy and, and condemning days. Days to put you down. To give you no reason to go on. No reason to press in. Why not just, you know, I mean, who doesn't face that? We all do. Some people overcome it. Other times it's harder to overcome, but we can all overcome it. Say, yeah, well, I messed up and dropped the ball. Are you a parent? How many parents have ever had a kid that dropped the ball? Wasn't that disappointing? Didn't you really at first you want to go out and just wail the fire out? Do people still talk like that? Wail the fire out of them? Maybe they don't. You'd like to spank them. They really disappoint. You're just so upset because everything you've taught them, they just seem like they took it for granted or trashed it, and then they come in, they've done something terrible, and you think, oh, how disappointing this is that's going on. But you know what? Did you disown them? Nope. Did you say, I don't know you anymore, get out of my house? That probably happened. They're still your kid, aren't they? You forgive them? Of course you do. You're their parent. When they were born into your family, there was no instructions wrapped around any of their legs to tell you how to raise them. They mess up, but we forgive them. They're our children. You can't stop loving them. I don't love them less because they messed up. I'm disappointed. But I still love them. God's like that. How many times do we disappoint him with what, as far as we're concerned, we dropped the ball? But he didn't quit loving us. Not according to the Bible. Not according to the word that is near us. He loves us in spite of ourselves. We're in a changing process, a osmosis from a, a yucky person to a saintly person. 
There's a lot of struggles in this walk. There's a lot of difficulties. Some drag their feet and some are 30, some 60, some 100 fold aggressive people. But we all are growing. The change is taking place in all of us. We disappoint God all the time, I think, because we disappoint ourselves. But God never stops loving us. So I want to encourage you all today that the word you're holding in your lap has a message for you. I want to begin today by telling you that the Bible tells you clearly what belongs to you. Now, I don't care how many times you act like you're not sure of that. Or how many times I act or any of us act like, yeah, I've heard that. I know that. But, oh, man, we do that. But that doesn't change what the word says. It still says it. I mean, it still declares who you are and who he is and what he has promised for you. And he knew what he got when he chose you. He knew what he got. He knew everything about us. He knew how we could mope around and drag our feet and be less than encouraging to other people. He knew that. He chose you knowing that. He knew our weaknesses and our flaws and our ugliness. He knew all of that and picked you anyway and doesn't stop loving you because as he's working on that, you're having difficulty with it because he's God and he loves us and he cares for us and he has declared in his word all these things that are ours. Now, in 1 Corinthians 3, he says all things are yours. All things are yours. He says it twice, actually. As I've said many times, somebody, and I've heard this, Somebody once counted, said there was over or around 8,000 promises in the Bible. That God has stood before his called people. Every time they'll listen, every time they'll read, every time they'll spend time with him, he is willing to show them something. Just give me some time. He says, I'll open your eyes. I'll show you something. I'll show you what belongs to you. I'll show you what has been freely given to you. Now, you'll need the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. See, this is part of the equation. God's word is full of promises, full of solutions, full of things you can rely on, depend on, and hold to. His word is. But those things don't always register with church folks. Listen to what he said, that God has given us the Holy Spirit to do what? Specifically what? To show us all the things that are freely given to us. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to open your eyes. Now listen, open your eyes to show you what God wants you to have. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't try hard enough to get it because it's freely given, isn't it? God has 8,000 freely given promises. They're yours. They belong to you. They're not to the world. They're yours. All these promises. In Romans, I think, 8 and 1 Corinthians 3, he said, all things are yours. Didn't he say, what things soever you desire? Well, think of what you could desire. You could desire some relief. I'm sure those guys in the boat did. It was a while before they got it, but they got it. It took a while to get to the shore off of that sinking ship. 
I'm sure it took a while to get over the, the mental struggle that they were having on that ocean. But they got over it. They got there safe. They weren't dead. They made it. And sometimes it may take a while for these things to happen. But what things ever you desire. He said, when you pray, believe. He didn't say how long it would take. He didn't say what you might have to go through before you get it. But he just said, when you pray, all you got to do is believe. You got the easy part. Just believe. God works out the details. And that's what he wants. That's the way it should be for all of us. Remember what he said in James 5, if any man lack wisdom, let him what? Ask of God who giveth. Now think of that. The word is nigh thee, and whatever the word says, the Holy Spirit says this is God's free gift to you because God's a giving God, he giveth. He giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. All he requires is that we ask in faith, believing that we not be like the wave of the sea, tossed and so forth. Remember Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and for what? Forget not all of his benefits. If they weren't all ours, he wouldn't have said, don't forget them all. All of them are ours. He said, don't forget it. Learn what they are. You got a Bible? Take to heart all these solutions that God gives. Take to heart what God has promised us on how to make it through this, what we're going through how I can do the best that I can do to get through this, he'll show you. He'll help us all do it. You know, even that the fig tree doesn't blossom, there be no fruit in the vine, the yield of the olives shall fail, and the herd be cut off from the stall. What did he say in Habakkuk? He said, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord because all these things are temporal things. God can give me all of that back. That's no problem for God. The earth is the Lord's and the... Uh, fullness thereof. See, that's in the Bible too. So the more this word begins to be nigh thee, the more it begins to abide in thee, the more you begin to see that God in his gracious and loving kindness has given you a book full of his promises to you. Promises that when fulfilled, glorify him. It makes you happy, but he gets glory for it because we praise him for all of these things. That's what he said in 2 Corinthians 1. All the promises are yes and amen to the glory of God by us. Nobody else can claim them but us. And when we do claim those promises and God fulfills his word, we find ourselves saying, praise the Lord. But when faith factors in all of this, you start praising the Lord while you're still in the ocean trying to get on shore. Because faith calls those things that be not as though they are. Isn't that strange to call something that is not yet as though it already is? How strange are you when you act like that? To say that you are whatever you're believing for before you actually are? And you start confessing with your mouth, as he said in Romans 10, the promise, the provision that God has made. This is what is right with God. This is the righteousness or the right ways of God by faith. You take God at his word, even though there's no evidence of the performance of his word. You can't see anything around you where it's worked, but you believe it. You try your best. Some do this better than others, but we all have to do it. 
Well, what about if you didn't do it? Well, then you get back up. Just like with your kid, you didn't say, well, you messed up once you're out of my, no, you're still my child. No, you're still my son, daughter, or whatever. You're still mine. I still love you. And as the years roll, we'll forget what happened. You'll overcome that. Our relationship will get better as though it never happened. That's the way God loves us. He looks past our weaknesses and our flaws. He holds us accountable for sure. But, oh, he loves us and he cares for us. So the word tells you all these things that are yours. A second thing that the Bible does, the word of God, we'll just title the message today, The Encouragements from God. Second thing that God does to encourage us is to show us or declare us, reveal us to be victors, overcomers in our battles, in our life struggles, that we are more than conquerors through Christ. Isn't that still in the scripture in Romans 8? We are more. And you say, I'm more? It's what God said. Well, you don't look like more. You sure don't sound like more. You haven't done anything yet to prove more. Neither had Gideon. Who was Gideon? <laughs> he was a man hiding from the Midianites, trying to save his crop as best he could because they would come and raid and take all their property, and he was hiding. And the Lord appeared to him and called him mighty man of valor. And, you know, Gideon looking around and said, who are you talking to? Me, a mighty man of valor, I'm scared, I'm cowering, I'm hiding, I, I, I don't even know how to fight. And I'm a mighty man of valor. If God said you are, how many of you know you are? If he said you are, you are. Well, I don't look like I are. Well, you are. I don't feel like I are, but you are. Simply because God said it. That was going to be our message this week. God chooses amongst men those least likely to be chosen by the world to amount to anything. And he takes simpletons like us. And he just changes the way we look, the changes the way we live. Refocus. Teaches us how to process things spiritually and begin to see what he's saying. Things that when get lodged in your heart, it goes back to where we started. The word begins to dwell in you, and you begin to rise way above where you ever thought you could be. You learn how you can claim a promise, and God will fulfill it. How you can walk through this and walk through that and get out of debt. The Bible's so full of this. But he said, you're a champion. All you folks are champions. You're overcomers. You say, well, I haven't overcome much yet, but you are one. You have it to do. But you are. How many of you all believe that a man who joins the army is a soldier? He hadn't been through basic training yet, but he is a soldier. He doesn't know anything about being a soldier. Is he a soldier? Could he possibly turn out to be a train killer? He could. He'll know how to take care of himself, defend himself. He didn't know. He's learning. That's just the way it'll work. God didn't choose anybody in this room because you knew how to live the Christian life. We're struggling to keep up. Just like the Israelites of old, they look for ways to get out. They want to go back to Egypt. 
too hard, too much of a new and changing routine out here in this desert. We're not accustomed to this kind of a lifestyle. And God said, this desert is school. This is a university. And I brought you all out of your primary class and put you in a desert. And for 40 years, I'm going to train you how to trust me. It was a school. God hadn't made any mistakes. When he picked you all, he didn't make a mistake. You're what he wanted. Did you know that? You're what he wanted. And when he says, I can do all things through Christ, you can apply that to people in this room that have done nothing in Christ. But he says you can, so therefore, if he said you can, then you can. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 a wonderful chapter about the Lord's coming and the, the change that's going to take place. He said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We still got battles to face. And God says, I'm giving you the victory. Or you might, well, I didn't do good the last battle. I didn't do good the one before that. No, but you stay with me. You're going to grow. You're going to overcome and conquer. You know that? And in the latter days, you're going to stand with Christ by overcoming. You're not going to give in and cave in. You're going to hold your ground. Because God didn't quit loving you, and he didn't quit doing his deep work in you. Would you turn 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14? This is one of those glad-hearted verses. Makes you want to get up and run. Well, at least smile. He said, God always causes us to what? Does he or not? What if you made this confession this morning? God will cause me to triumph over then whatever it is you need to deal with. Would you be making an honest confession? Would it be a right confession if you said, God will cause me to triumph over this? Isn't that what he said? Then why would it be hard to say that? Unless the devil's put a shroud over your heart and said, well, you don't deserve it. We don't deserve anything God has. Nothing that he's promised we deserve it because we can't earn it. He gives it. God so loved the world that he gave. He's God. And he causes us to triumph. That mountain you thought was unconquerable, God makes a molehill out of it. And you step on it and walk over it. Oh, that sounds good. That preaches good. But that's, no, sir, that's the truth. I don't care how it preaches. That's the truth. God causes us to triumph. That means we win. That means we are really more than conquerors. More than conquerors mean you conquer before the battle is even fought. Let me ask you a question. You might know the story well. You remember Jehoshaphat? Somebody prophesied in the assembly. They had a whole bunch, three armies coming up south. Beside the Dead Sea, they were headed up towards Hebron, I guess, in that part of Israel. And they were coming to kill. And Jehoshaphat knew that, knew that he didn't have time to run or flee and didn't have enough wherewithal to fight that many men. And so God spoke to him. God gave him a word. This was a near word from God. He said, you need not fight in this battle. Stand ye still 
and see the saving ways, the salvation of God. You know what Jehoshaphat did? Before he ever saw the face of the enemy, what did he do? He went, whoo, got the dancing. The Hebrew words are pretty graphic. Dancing, twirling in a circle beside himself. And the whole bunch of them started singing, jumping up and down. And the next day when the enemy came out, Jehoshaphat stopped him and said, it's time. So they turned around, here come the enemy, started shouting again. And God caused their enemy to turn on themselves and they killed each other. While the church was shouting and carrying on, the enemy killed each other. And the devil sitting on a hillside saying, oh, no, no, no. But God's people won. Are we not more than conquerors? Through Christ? We're nothing of ourselves. But if you believe this word, you hide this word in your heart. The word is near you. What is it that God has promised that he can't do? What has God promised that's too hard for God? Oh, you look at my circumstances. Like somebody told me one time I was in a church and I was talking about something similar to this. And they said, well, that works in America because he'd been a missionary to a far country. He said, well, that won't work over there. And I said, why not? Doesn't God own the whole world? Can he not open the eyes of the most ignorant people in the world? He did me. What do you mean it won't work? I was a C student. <laughs> Yourself. I never cared a thing about making good grades. I learned more about, well, English. And anyhow, I'm not saying much, but I learned a whole lot more about English when I became a preacher and started looking at Greek words and Hebrew words and found out how, the, you know, this and that. And I learned even what nouns and verbs were. Actually, I knew that. My family talks about diagramming sentences, my daughter and my wife. I remember something said about that, but I don't remember ever, ever, ever being able to diagram a sentence. I remember doing that and drawing lines this way and that way, and I thought at the time, it's the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. So I just wrote on there whatever I wrote on there. If I didn't get a good grade, it didn't matter. What do I care about writing names on lines? God takes people like that. There's hope for everybody if there's hope for me. <laughs> he gave me a good memory. He did. He gave me a good memory. I've always been able to remember things I wanted to, just like you can. And things became important to remember, like the Word of God. That's how you hide it in your heart. That's when the Word is near you. I cherish it. I want to know what it says. You know, if they steal our Bible someday, I want mine to be in my heart so I can still quote it. I want it to be living and alive. I do. Because God has promised us that we are more than conquerors through Christ. Sometimes our physical battles, we've had our share of them here. Sometimes physical battles are not only serious, and a life may be in the balance. But they're often accompanied with a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty. And you add to that the mental battle that goes with that. You know, everything the devil can do to steal or destroy. Destroy your confidence, destroy your faith. Whatever he can do by just projecting thoughts in your mind, look at you. 
Look at what you just did. Look at where you were last night. Look at what you talked about. Look at how you're acting. Why in the world would you think that God's on your side? Anybody, you can't even, well, you know when the last time you spent 10 straight minutes praying? What You can't even remember the last time in your life you spent 10 minutes praying. You see, you can't be a Christian. This is just not going to work for you. You're just a person that gets up, goes to a meeting, you joined the church, you got the name of the church attached to you, you became one of them, and that's all you've done with your whole life. Just a member of a system. Now, why would you think God's going to give you anything? Well, sometimes you have to rise up and that word is in you and said, you know, I am ashamed that I've wasted so much of my time, but now I'm redeeming it. And God's beginning to enlighten me. That's what the Holy Spirit does, that he would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you can know him. You wasted a long time. You were older when you got into this. But wow, isn't it wonderful how he's doing you now? And how you're overcoming these struggles and how you're doing this and doing that. And even when pain and discomfort comes, I've had my share of that. I really have. I don't talk about it. You don't always know. But there have been a lot of that. A lot of discomfort and pain. But it's not something I'm going to talk to my wife about. Honey, I'd like to tell you just how much pain I'm in today. I'd like to show you where the pain is so we can just look at it. Not me. Not her. She gives a testimony sometime about the Lord healing her. I thought... When that happens, we just don't talk about it. You know what we talk about? About healing, about the deliverance. Sometimes you say, you going through a trial? Sometimes my answer is, yeah, or uh, maybe. <laughs> but I'm not looking at the circumstance. I'm not looking at the situation. I'm not looking at how many pieces of this ship that's wrecking is floating in the sea and how great a loss that is and poor old me. I'm looking at the shore because the gracious God is going to bring me to the shore. When I get there, he will have done a deeper work in me. He will have done something that makes me just, well, able to share with you, able to help and able to stand. We go through financial battles here. You can preach getting out of debt to some people that is just, oh, I don't want to hear all that. And they get in debt and they max out cards and this stuff. Then kids come along and the opportunities you'd like to take advantage of, you can't because you don't have any money. You owe it to somebody. Everything you've got, you owe it. We say to people, that's a shame. You shouldn't be like that. Some folks have said, well, we'd like to give to the church, but we just can't afford to give. Now, you're in sin now. Nobody should ever get in himself a pickle like that. If you had listened to the Lord, he would have showed you to avoid all of that. And sometimes we're just selfish. We want it now. I want what you've got, and I want it now. By the way, I like to have a green one. And sometimes being patient, but the Bible says, in your patience you possess your soul. Sometimes patience is tough to hold to. But we go through these battles. But we're told you're more than a conqueror. You win, even before the battle starts. But if you're not convinced of that yourself, if you're not too sure about that, then you won't. The battle will come. God will say, now, come on, let God arise. Trust me in this. Let me be in the center of your battle. Come on. And you think, well, I don't know. 
I'll tell you this, God didn't drop you from his plan. He didn't say you're out of here. You know what he did? He came back to encourage you. What does it say about Jesus when in Mark chapter 6, in his own hometown, he could there do no mighty work except lay his hands on a few sick folk and he healed them. Did he say, well, I'm done with all of you? Or did he start teaching them? He didn't abandon those people. He knew they were in ignorance. Either they didn't know the word, they'd never been taught, or they had some bad influence, mistaught. But knowing that they couldn't connect with him, he started teaching them. He set them down and said, now let's go over this again. Is that love? Is that care that God cares about us like that? Yes, it is. He wants you to be able to rise up and say, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded. And I know the more I get a hold of the truth of God, I know the more people talk about me, the more people oppose me. I know in some ways the more difficult it is to get around, I lose friends. But if, folks, if you draw back too far, you have fear and doubt to fight all the time. And I'll tell you what, it's not easy. It's not easy in the heat of the battle when you're not doing well to press in. But you got to do it because the one who is in you does that. That's God in you doing his will. Come on, Gideon, don't give up. Don't give up. Hold fast. Yes, the battle is raging. Yes, the pain is. Yes, yes. And yes, it could be. And if you didn't get something, yes, this could happen. You could die. But don't give up. Regroup. Regroup. Just like Jesus. Oh, well, let's start teaching them. Let's don't get rid of them. Let's teach them. I'm going to cut this tree down. I've been looking for fruit on this tree for a long time. And what did the husbandman or the gardener say? Give me one more year. Don't cut that tree down. The tree's no good. I know it's not. But let me have it for another year. Let me dig it and dung it. Whew. Let me deal with it. See if I can get this thing to work. That's the way God is. He's not against us. He's for us. And the least of us is loved as much as whoever the greatest among us is. And there isn't any. And God never, ever stops caring for you and the devil never stops trying to defeat you bible calls it the battle of war we're told to fight the good fight of faith believe what god said sirs i believe god that it shall be even as it was taught me do that turn to first peter turn to first peter chapter one in 1 Peter chapter 1, let's begin in verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, which passes not away, Reserved in heaven for you. Now that's good. Verse 5. Who are what? Do you always feel kept? Come on, be honest. 
Do you always feel kept or do you sometimes feel left out? Take God at this word. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein? You greatly rejoice, though now for a season, though now for a season, if what? If need be. Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through many kinds and various kinds of temptations. Heaviness. Have you ever been in heaviness? Anybody? It's hard for me to remember through a week when it doesn't come. It doesn't get to stay. It is allowed to come. That's all. That's when you got to put your gloves on, fight. That's what the Bible says. Why wouldn't the devil try to throw you aside? Why wouldn't he come at you every chance he got? Why wouldn't he try to make you afraid and doubt? Why wouldn't he? That's what the devil does. Why wouldn't he want you to get quiet and subdued and, you know, look at yourself as yourself? You're like a grasshopper looking up instead of a giant looking down. Why wouldn't he do that? Why wouldn't he whisper in your ear? Why wouldn't he speak like he did with Eve through subtleties? To deceive her mind, make her think wrong. Eve, man, you're not that bad. Why wouldn't he do that? That's what the devil does. But it's so easy to listen to that. And yet when the word is nigh thee, that's what you listen to. You listen to that. You make a decision. There's two ways confronting me here. One is a natural way, the way most everybody is, and you poor old soul. And over here is no, you're not allowed to act like that, think like that, or go that way. You're supposed to think like God. Isn't it still in the Bible? Let this mind, is that still biblical? Let this mind be in you? He said, you got to let it. It's there. You just have to lean to it. Christ is in you. His mind is in you. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. That's what we do. And we do that because of the influence of the scriptures. Even though now for a season, if need be, we're in heaviness through many kinds of trials that the testing of our faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, even though gold is tried by far, might be found at the end to result in praise, honor, and glory at the coming of Jesus. That's what he said. That's what he said. I'm on a mission. I have been asked to engage in the Lord's army. There's a battle out there that's raging, not only amongst us, but individually. The devil wants to stop every one of us, turn us from light back to darkness, to confuse us so that nothing makes sense anymore. And you wonder why and how you're ever going to make it out of here, and I don't know how I got in this kind of condition, so on and so forth. You know how Paul describes our biggest problems? Light, momentary afflictions. Isn't that something? 2 Corinthians 4. For our light, he said, momentary afflictions are working for us a far greater weight of glory. God's doing something through the trials you're going through, through the struggles, through the fights, through the mental battles, the anguish. Everything you're going through, God is using that. You're being located. Because when you're alone, you start thinking about it. What am I doing? How am I, you know, why did I do that? Or maybe you're sitting here today and maybe God's word is like a hammer is beating on your heart or like a sword cutting in there and 
convicting us. Come on, we got a life to live. We're not living this life alone. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He said, but be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Why wouldn't he? That's what he does. Whom, with regard to the devil, resist him. The word, the Greek word is take a hard stand, an unmovable stand against him. He said, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are being accomplished by your brethren in the world. But, but, in spite of it, the God of all peace, which hath called us into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, one day will, when we have suffered a while, what will he do? He will finish the work he started. He will perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you. Only God can do that, and he does that. You will make it. You can do it. I don't care what your brain is telling you. Remember, the devil can only project thoughts into your mind. That's what he does. The weapons of our warfare. Remember this? In 2 Corinthians 10, Four and five, he said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not guns and swords, but they're mighty through God. They have to go through God. Casting down or, or, or pulling down strongholds and casting down all of these imaginations. Bringing every thought to the obedience of Christ. Well, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Is that what Jesus said? Did he say that? No then don't you say that. Well, I know, but I just, I know what you're thinking. A lot of us, more than we know, been there and done that. But he said, we cast down imaginations, these mental pictures, because that's what the devil throws at you. Boy, a fine Christian you are. A fine example you are. That's what he does. And God does not leave us nor forsake He's standing right there. And in the whisper in your ears that this is the hour to squeeze the handle on that plow and to hold fast and let the word that is nigh you begin to be the words that come out of your mouth and say what Jesus said, it is written. Instead of those fiery darts that are trying to throw you off course, let these fiery swords go back and throw the devil off course and fight. The good fight of faith. Well, I haven't done well. You do as much as you can. You fight. Just don't give up and don't quit and don't throw in the towel. He said in verse 10 here, our victory will come. Our victory will come. After you have suffered a while, and you will, he will strengthen, he will perfect, he will establish, and he will settle you. That's what God will ultimately and finally do with us as we are fighting. We just don't quit. And personally, I think that a loving God will do whatever he has to to draw you back into battle. Draw you back into battle. In fact, he said, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested beyond that which you're able. Didn't he say that? 
But he didn't say he'd get you out of it. He said, we'll with the temptation provide a way of escape that you can endure it. There's something going on here while we're fighting. There's a voice I'm hearing from God in the midst of all this, some instruction. It's what the Holy Spirit does. The only thing I've got that the Spirit of God is going to use is an abiding word. It's called the sword of the Spirit. If I don't hide that word in my heart, what does he use? Hamilton, tell the devil you're a good guy. I'm not a good guy. Tell the devil you're, you're talented. I'm not talented. Well, tell the devil you know how to preach. I don't know how to preach. Well, tell the devil something I will. In the name of Jesus, I resist you. I just tell him today, whenever he comes around, I said, the Lord rebuke you. What's he going to do with that? You know, when the devil contended for the body of Moses, remember what the angel said? The Lord rebuke you. That's pretty good. That's pretty high-class rebuke. But I think of all these things in the Bible, all these wonderful gifts and blessings that God has given to me. <clears throat> but I come to the third one, an encouragement. The Word of God tells me how much God loves me. How much he really cares about me. I've been talking about it off and on. How much he cares. I know there are many who probably feel like they've been left out. Probably feel like, I, you know, I've crossed the line. Go to Psalm 142. Psalms 142. There's a lot of encouragements in the Psalms. Psalm 142 and verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. I mean, you knew that when I was going downhill, Lord. In the way wherein I walked, they have privately laid a snare for me. You knew that. I looked on my right hand and beheld that there was none. There was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me, and no man cared for my soul. That's what David wrote when he was fleeing from Saul. Let me ask you a question. Did anybody care about David? Yes. He didn't know who they were. Is there people that care about you? There's people that pray for you. I remember one time in Louisiana, I met a lady that had been praying for me for 20 years. Never heard of her. Brother Menard took me over to her house. Very simple little apartment. I mean, obviously a, a poor lady. And she said, oh, it's so nice to meet you. I've been praying for you for 20 years. Why? Because this God puts people on people's heart to care about you. How many mothers pray, agonize, plead with God for the well-being of their children or their marriage? Somebody cares. But boy, you can be in some kind of a dark hole sometimes. And like he said there in verse 4, no man cared for my soul. That can be a sad place. Remember Psalm 78 a few weeks ago? The Bible said, has God ceased to be gracious? Remember that? Has his mercy clean gone? I like that. Has he, because he is angry with us, because we have been so sinful and so terrible? The nation of Israel's got that history. God never did forsake them all. He always had a few there. Even today, they're still his people. And he said, Lord, have you quit on us? Nothing's working for me. I pray, I bind, I loose, and the devil wins. 
I go to church, I listen, I take notes, I try my very best to do everything I want to do, and it still doesn't work. The gifts still don't work here. This still doesn't work. That doesn't work. This is not going right. This one failed. That one failed. One died. That one died. And nothing's working. You ever been there? I've been there for you. I know this, that God's still in control. God's still in charge. He is. He is in charge. And the latter end of what he's doing will be better than the beginning of what he did. And his people are going to take charge. Something is going to happen like an electric, huh, and we're going to rise up. You wait and see. God's going to perfect his church. He says, awake thou that sleepest. In the last days when the, the bridegroom cometh, the church was asleep. Right before he came, it was asleep. Somebody said, he's coming. And they had to wake up. And some of them weren't ready because they gave up trying. They just gave up trying. But God's people are going to be ready to go. Bible says that God cares about us. God is with me. And God is for me. And concerning your battles and torments and struggles and your circumstances, let me remind you of something. It was either Sunday morning or Wednesday night. We sang Psalm 3. Lord, are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many are they that say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. That's what we're saying. And I say we editorial, that's what the church is saying. Where's God? But thou, in spite of that, in spite of it, thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. You're the glory and the lifter of my head. I will not be afraid of ten thousands. And so you can sing the song when you get home. That's the way God talks. We never deny the pressure. He never denies allowing it. But he tells us in the midst of it, rise to the occasion. Overcome. That makes you distinctly different from nominal Christianity. The difference between a wheat and a tear is rising to the occasion. Having oil in your lamps. That's the difference. Not being satisfied with just being in a meeting, but doing something and going somewhere and letting God take care of you and lead you and bless you and, and all of that. Well, what about when you get old? Well, you, can you still do that when you get old? He said, yes, you can do that when you get old. They shall still bring forth in old age. He said, they shall be fat and flourishing. He doesn't tell us what old age is, though. David was old, 70. Well, that was five years ago for me, nearly. But that was long enough for him. Moses is 120 years old. And others were 130, 40. Old is not a number you can connect to like 70 years of the days of a man's life, it said in Psalm 90. But that's not a reference to how many years we're allowed to live. That was a complaint of God's people when they were wandering in the wilderness. Some of them weren't even making it to 80. They were dying. But God said that they wouldn't enter in from 40 to 80. So you see, God wants us to know that he cares about us, that the Bible is full of promises that you can do, that God is with you, encouraging you, even though it doesn't seem like it.
that you really can do all things through Christ, your heart ought to inform your mouth of those truths. If the word is in your heart, remind your mouth to say it. And just say, I can do all things through Christ. God will give me wisdom on how to conduct the affairs of my home, how to be a proper father, which I've never been if you still got kids at home, how to be a proper mom, how to be diligent. Oh, the devil wants me lazy. He wants you to let it slide. Don't fix it now. Just let it slide. He wants you like that. I went out and cleaned my garage up this week. I looked at it and I thought, no possible way that I'm going to devote a day to that. Forget it. And Dave was over and, man, it was pretty. And I look at it now and I like to go out there now and just look at my garage. <laughs> I don't because that would probably be pride. But I think God just encourages us to be diligent. Overcome. Don't look twice at something you shouldn't look at. Turn the thing off. If you're on a computer and those little pop-ups come, do what I have to do sometimes. I do this. I usually this hand because I usually hit the button with the right hand. I don't want to look at that. I don't even want the devil to use any of that to entertain in my thoughts. You just start overcoming stuff. And next thing you know, you're getting stronger. You're not weakening and failing and flailing anymore the way you once did. God's doing something deeper in your life. Because fourthly, the word tells me that all my problems have already been solved one way. He said, if thou canst believe, Mark 9, 23, if thou canst believe, what's possible? All things. There's nothing outside of that. All I need to do is ground myself in the word. Get in the word. Desired enough that I not only want to memorize it, but as a process, I start reading it and then quoting it and reading it and quoting it and read it until I get it absolutely right. And I just keep quoting and go through the day while I'm driving through the day, doing whatever I'm doing, I quote the Bible. I want to hide it in my heart. I don't mean some academic way. I can quote the Bible, but I mean in a meaningful way as something I'm going to use against the devil. I'm going to look to for God to encourage me. My confidence in God is based on what he said. And whatever that is that I need, whatever the solution is that I need in my life, whether it's money or forgiveness or restoration of a friendship, how much of that needs to take place? A lot of things like that ought to happen. But we could do that, all of our solutions. And finally, in closing, fifthly, another thing that's encouraging to us is that the Word of God tells me that I am secure, that I am saved, and I will be saved. I believe that. Somebody said, well, you sound like a Baptist. So be it. I got one in the tree, my family tree. So I said, so I heard. I believe when God saves a man, truly births him into a new creature. I don't mean joining church and Asking God to forgive you of your sins and then just be that person the rest of your life. I'm talking about a transformation of life. New birth. It's not as common as you think it is. But a change of your nature. When God does his work and breathes on a soul. And that person's life is changed from that day until the end of their life. And it never ceases to keep changing. 
It's God doing a work. God isn't stagnant and static and sitting around doing nothing. He's in there doing something. And everything gets more glorious as he does because you've been born again. That person, God said that no man shall ever pluck you out of his hand. No man is ever going to take you. No man is ever going to rob you of your salvation. You know, if any man's work down here on this earth suffers loss, yet he shall be saved even as by fire. God's going to finish the work he started, folks. If he called you out of darkness and made you his, let me tell you something, you're his. You might be struggling now because you might be slow to learn and, and a little bit hesitant. You were raised like that. You grew up like that. But God's got a way of speeding this process up. And he does. Because he that started a good work, he'll finish it. He didn't start a work and say, well, you messed up. I'm going to get somebody. And he doesn't do that. If he started it, he graves you in the palm of his hand. And he said a nursing mother could sooner forget her baby, her nursing child, than I could forget you. I have graven you on the palms of my hands. He said in John chapter 10, no man will pluck you out of my hands. When God reached out and made his choice of you and brought you to him and breathed in you life and you become a new creature in Christ, you're his. You may show a lot of imperfections between there and the end of life. You may mess up more than you should, but he'll never stop working on you. He'll never stop teaching you. He'll never stop tapping you on the shoulder, chasing you, whatever he has to do to get your attention because what God started in your life, he's going to finish it. You know what? I'm saved. I am saved. I'm not saved because I'm smart. I'm not saved because I've done this for 45 years. I'm not saved for any other reason than that God chose to save me. And as all the information that comes to that and from that, as all that begins to come, you realize that salvation is the ultimate experience of a man. There is no experience known to common man that can compare to God's salvation. If you gained the whole world, became the world's greatest, what's those pictures on the wall? Fathead? Fathead? Isn't that a terrible name for something? A fathead on your wall? If you had a fathead on New York's Fifth Avenue and the whole world went, whoa, and you lost your soul, the same bug that eats a drunkard's going to eat you. The same place in hell that wicked men are and emperors, and they're going to have you with them. If you gain the world and lose your soul, you've lost everything. The whole purpose of life has been cast aside. But that day when Jesus walks this aisle and he taps you on your shoulder and he says, I want you. Just as I am, what a sorry thing we are. He brought us to God as bad as we were. Softens your heart. I'll never forget, never as long as I live, forget June 30th, 1968, First Christian Church in the corner of Water and Harrison Street, Charlestown, Indiana, 47111. That day that I went forward and the feeling the rest of the day, I had a good feeling. And the joy I didn't know how to express because in the Christian church, if it's not in the bulletin, you don't do it. And I didn't know how to release this thing. 
boy, it was in there. I had to hang around other people that had the same experience. We begin to share. We begin to grow. Salvation has been the most wonderful experience I have ever had in my whole life. Just knowing that if Jesus comes today, I'm going to be with him today in glory. If Jesus comes tomorrow, I'll be with him tomorrow. I asked a young lady, and I'll close with this. I asked a young lady, very attractive young lady once, a man's daughter. And I said to her, what would happen to you if you died right now? She said, what? You know, college age. I said, if you died right now, what would happen to you? She said, I'd go to heaven. I said, would you? She said, yes. I said, why? Why would you go to heaven? What if somebody in heaven said, why would I let you in heaven? Based on what are you going to make it in heaven? Just because you said you were? How will you get in here? And she said, well, I believe God. I said, so does the devil. The devil believes in God, doesn't he? So why are you going to heaven? I think she's almost ready to get saved. She said, I don't know. I said, girl, and her daddy was looking at her. I said, girl, you really need to find out this is the biggest decision you'll ever make in your whole life. This is bigger than who you marry. Because this is the only way you're getting off of this earth into glory. And if you miss it here, you've missed all of it. But I want to encourage you this morning. If God has saved you, you've got eternity written on your eyelids. You're the treasure of God. You have meaning to him. And he cares for you. And while the race is not over and the way is weary, you're not alone. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that your word will find a deep-rooted lodging place in our hearts. That every one of us can walk out of here and hold our heads up and say, I belong to God. I may not have much of an evaluation of myself. That's humility. That's okay. But I belong to God. And God is with me. Jesus Christ is in me. God will finish the work in me that he started. And in the latter end, with Job, I shall stand on this earth with Christ. Heavenly Father, if there's anybody in this room, in the sound of my voice, that has never been born again, I pray that this day you will do what only you can do to cause that to happen whether it's after this service, during this service, or when they go home, or whenever. My prayer, Lord, is that everybody in this church, every man, woman, and boy, and girl, that everybody will be saved. You can do that. We can't. But we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.